ask me to talk. Connection through conversation. Join self-described conversationalist Stacy Heller as she talks with guests about topics and ideas from the ridiculous to the sublime on Don't Ask Me to Talk. Now, here's your host, Stacy Heller. Hello. This is Stacy Heller. This is Don't Ask Me to Talk. Welcome, welcome. I am joined today by Jen O'Ryan. Um, do you want me to call you Dr. Jen O'Ryan? Uh, no, Jen, Jen is fine. Thank you. <laughs> and thank you for having me. Absolutely. So Jen is an inclusion and diversity strategist, and um, she helps people build um, a way to be inclusive in, and welcoming um, within companies. And I think that that's amazing, and we're going to talk more about that. But first, it's about me. I mean, you know, for longtime listeners, they know that. Uh, by the way, if you can't listen live like mom is right now, um, which I don't know why you wouldn't. I don't know what you could be busy doing at 3 o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon, but whatever. Um, you can listen whenever you want because this is also a podcast. So if you text D-A-M-T-T to 55678, then you will get all of the details about how to find the podcast on your favorite platform. You also could call in, again, like mom. She likes to call and say, weirdly, hello to Eric, not me. Um, I think she called you last week. Uh, we had pre-recorded the show. She did. <laughs> but it was nice to hear from her. Right? I think that's so sweet. I'm like, oh. She's like, I called Eric. I'm like, okay. I don't think he missed you that much, but maybe he did. <laughs> She was very nice. She is a very nice lady. So the number to call in is 425-373-5527. We can also connect via my website, which is stacyconnects.com. Okay, so it's been a big week. So last week we were in Veranda Beach for the long weekend, which it was glorious. If you don't know about Veranda Beach, it's kind of a misnomer because it's the beach on a lake. So I think of beach as being ocean, not really being lake, but whatever. Um, it is essentially a community that looks like it was born out of the Truman Show with white picket fences and verandas and rolling green grass and happiness abound. And it did not disappoint. So it is, for people that are curious, it's in Oroville, Washington, which is the central northern point of Washington, and it is about two miles as the crow flies to Canada. So that will be exciting when the border opens up, because apparently there's great wineries and all kinds of stuff there. Anyway, um, it was awesome. However, I am putting out a APB. I am looking for friends with planes, because I will tell you that Coming back and forth, it is a four and a half hour drive and it's a long drive. So a plane ride. So if you or anyone out there has a plane and you're interested in driving to a small airport that is just about a half a mile away from a lovely place called Veranda Beach, contact me. Um, okay. What about sea plans? planes? Can they land on the lake like you sometimes see I, people landing on Lake I Washington? I think so. I don't know. Right. I'll have to ask. I have... Oroville, Washington, the community following my Instagram. So maybe, <laughs> hey, Oroville, Washington, can seaplanes land on Lake Asoyos? So there we go. Let's see if we get an answer to that. Um, 
interestingly, already saw a wildfire. We headed from Oroville to OMAC, and there was already a wildfire burning. Um, I hear that it's going to be really bad. So I did what I do best, which is come up with an idea. So as I'm driving, I said to myself out loud. Please tell me the idea was not to (laughs) rake the forest. No. Okay. (laughs) The idea (laughs) was to put giant rain barrels all over the forest. Okay. Right. So people do that thing where they collect rain from their gutters or whatever, right? So to put gigantic rain barrels around certain areas in the forest. And we were watching a helicopter lift, like dip a bucket into the river and pick it up. And of course, it looked like it was a child's pail, but you know, it was like massive. So the thought is you have these buckets collecting precipitation. How about that word, folks? Snow, rain, whatever. And then if there's a fire, then the helicopter can have a much quicker like response because there's already a start. But don't say but. (laughs) (laughs) Don't find a hole. What? You don't like this? Well, doesn't nature and the surrounding areas and all that need that rainwater to live off of? It's not like it's it's going to waste. No, no. It's just that you have this bucket that's in like random places, giant barrels. And it's collecting what would normally land right there so that when there is a wildfire, the helicopter can just pick that up before they have to go down to the lake. Yeah, I'm just saying that normally that rainwater would flow out and, you know, kind of feed all the habitat and maybe make it into the groundwater and, you know. Okay, so you're talking about like the the water supply and all that stuff. Okay, well, can't it share? Interestingly, I thought you were going to go in a slightly different direction and have these barrels sitting out there, but they would be uh, connected. So you could actually just deploy them and they would kind of explode or leak water in an affected area. Well, it's funny that you say that, Jen, because my father-in-law owned a hydraulic motor business in Waterbury, Connecticut. And I actually thought about the idea of hydraulics where you could press a button and it would just like bloop and sort of fall over and... You know, um, so I did think about that. But then I got inspired by the whole helicopter thing. And, of course, I was like, I need to go on Shark Tank. And Pete was like, no, I think this is the kind of idea that you need to share. Like, this isn't about getting credit or selling. This is like if there was something to this, you need to put it out in the universe so that areas that are so devastated by wildfires, which out here in the West we are, um, maybe somebody that is smarter than I can do something with it. So, Eric, so far you are smarter than I. So I, I, I'm just saying <laughs> that, that that's the one thing that I see might be an issue. But, you know, I'd love to see the research on that because they can, you know, crunch the numbers and see if that's feasible. And if so, then fantastic. You know, that would right? be, be cool. Yeah. So, OK. So I'm putting that on the universe. Um, OK. Speaking of mom. Hi, mom. You're still in Minnesota. Um I have to say, Godspeed to my brother and my sister-in-law, Mary. Um, They have been hosting mom for, I think we're going on week three, and um, they're probably ready to send her home soon. And I'm sure that Lee and Diane, hey girls, are missing mom terribly. At this point, they are super liver cleansed and definitely ready to get back to drinking. So you should start now because you're going to have to build up, you know, a little like ability to drink again. Um, 
Okay, so we have two graduates this year, Will from college and Charlie from high school. Now, because it's so smart to have four children within six and a half years, uh, naturally they're on the same day and in two different states. So that's a little overwhelming. Will graduates from Santa Clara on Friday, and that's in California, and Charlie from high school here in Washington. Congratulations to them both. Thank you. So I have come up with an idea for their announcements, and here's my brilliant idea. So Charlie doesn't really love a party. He doesn't love attention. He doesn't want all of that. And I'm starting to get all of these grad announcements and invitations. And if I put on my cynical hat, which, by the way, with three other kids before him, I totally did the announcements and the parties and the whole thing. So let's just be clear. Um They essentially, though, are a, let me send this out to all of my friends. Everybody stops by. You get a piece of cake. You leave a check for $20.21. By the way, a little tip. If you don't know the person well, you give them a check for 2021. Get it? It's the year. And all of those checks add up so you don't have to feel guilty. Anyway, so I have done an invitation or an announcement, rather, that congratulates Charlie, gives all the deets, and on the back, I put a QR code that takes you to this little site that I created that has great pictures of him and a thank you to everyone and his Venmo account. Very nice. Right? So if people want to congratulate him and give him a gift, bada bing. And I just thought he doesn't want that. And a graduation party is like, I'm going to give you some cake and food and you're going to give my kid a check. It's like a bar or bat mitzvah. Well, especially in these pandemic times right so yeah. it's been tricky it's there have been a lot of people that you know on invitations it's like if you're vaccinated you know then we invite you to come because people have family that's older and whatever and i just thought you know what navigating all of that was just too much right so that's my idea feel free to I copy like it. it thank I like you it. i mean it's definitely feels a little self-serving however i did it tastefully and with humor so there you go um, okay, then Grace and Pete have landed now. They landed in Manhattan. They are probably, as we speak, checking out Grace's apartment on the Upper East Side. She is going to be living there for two months while she does her internship at PwC, Pricewaterhouse. Um, and so she made me chuckle because she has two massive bags of clothing. And last night, our family friend came by and commented on the massive bags. And she was like, I'm ready for anything. And so it sort of became a game. And he was like, okay, you're invited to a disco. She's like, no problem. And she whipped out like these flare, colorful pants that are like palazzo pants. And then it was like, okay, a speakeasy. And she's like, no problem. I mean, she is prepared for every eventuality. Like, I'm going to a museum. I'm going to brunch. I'm going to here. I'm going to there. Um, The funny thing is she's not really going anywhere because the internship is, well, she'll be in New York proper. (laughs) It's remote. So she'll be doing it in her apartment over Zoom. (laughs) (laughs) So she just really wanted to pay that uh, $3,000 a month rent. Well, to get that feel. Yes. Well, and (laughs) It was $2,000, her own apartment, and I will tell you, she, well, 
no. <laughs> she didn't go to France like she was supposed to do for her junior year abroad. And so dad and I were like, okay, we'll pay for two months of rent. And congratulations, your experience abroad is right in New York, which, I mean, there's so many different cultures. It's kind of perfect. Sure. So, yeah, so she has packed for everything. In fact, she even, um, she first learned about um, the Pride Parade and Pride in general. All those years ago, she did an internship, um, or when she first went to New York, she met Brad Goreski and his now husband, Gary Janetti, and they were in town to attend Pride with... um, Sir Ian McClellan, I think. And Gary was a writer for the show that he was doing. And anyway, they were talking about Pride and she was like, well, that sounds cool. So she even has an outfit for Pride that she got. A really cute suit that is a rainbow suit with shorts. So she looks like um, she's in like a 80s power short suit. (laughs) So she's ready. I mean, like, you name it, she's covered. Um, And... That's kind of like, that's kind of it. And then Annie. Annie is um, doing what Annie does best, which is teaching these kids that she works with. And it's interesting because I'll be going to Charlie's graduation alone since Pete will be at uh, Will's. And Annie will be there as a teacher. She's got seven of her students graduating this year. And she gets to walk the kids up when they get their diploma, and I believe she's trying to work it out so that she can give Charlie his diploma. So I told her that if she can work it out, she needs to embarrass him and give him a big hug. So, you know, it seems like the heller way. So that is all the news that's fit to print. Um, You know, so much, and, like, it's so specific to me, but isn't that, like, life? Um, okay, Staceyism. So I'm going to combine two things. One is the kids when they were little used to watch VHS tapes. Yes, that's right. VHS tapes of Sesame Street. And one of them had Elmo on it talking about how in his really squeaky voice, how asking questions is a good way to find things out. I would do the voice. I would do the voice. Right. So then fast forward. I can do Mickey Mouse, but not Elmo. Elmo's tricky. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. Um, now I'm just like so wanting to do the voices and I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Don't make me do it, Eric. Um, the other thing that I've learned is nope. that it. I want you to pitch the rain barrel plan in the Elmo <laughs> voice. <laughs> yes, please. I would sign up for that. Yeah. <laughs> so here's what I'm thinking. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> oh my gosh. Now I'm going to have to do that. Okay. Um, so the second part of that that I've learned is that it's better to ask questions than make assumptions. So I have learned that it is so much less offensive to ask people questions than making assumptions. And I, I apply this to people that I have met where I don't necessarily understand. You know, I have friends who are, for instance, um, LDS or Mormon. Um, and I didn't, you know, I don't get it. On the East Coast, there's not a lot of folks there that I ever encountered that are part of that church. And so I had questions and I found that it was when I was asking these questions, you know, you hear all these whisperings and, you know, people trying to make it weird. And so I just directly asked my friends and, you know, I said, I'm sorry if I'm being offensive. And they said, are you kidding? It is so nice to have people just ask the question. And that way you get the real information. And so I think that Elmo's right. Asking questions is a good way to find things out. 
And it is also so much less offensive than making assumptions. And the reason that I picked that Staceyism is because June is Pride Month. And it is, Grace has got an outfit for it. (laughs) And it is a great opportunity to ask questions and don't make assumptions. And you'll find some things out. And it's perfect that Jen is my guest this week because this is something on a whole bunch of different levels that you work with uh, individuals and companies. And so it's a perfect segue, but let's take a quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk with Jen O'Ryan. You're listening to Don't Ask Me to Talk. Are you stuck in a creative straitjacket, going crazy, trying to find a different way out, exhausted from trying to make old ideas feel fresh and relevant? Popcorn and Noodle is a boutique agency that specializes in popcorning new ideas and noodling on existing ones for entrepreneurs and small businesses. Whether it's ideas about what to name a new venture, how to promote your services, or which direction to consider next, Popcorn and Noodle serves ideas that pop and stick. Don't go crazy. Go to popcornandnoodleideas.com. Creative solutions serve daily. Stacy Heller is many things. Entertaining, yet enlightening. She's a talk show host channeling her inner Fallon. Like Winston Wolf, she's a fixer who gets things done with style. Practical, like Dr. Ruth. Stacy isn't afraid of the uncomfortable when searching for answers. She's your biggest fan and sees your potential before you do. Most of all, Stacy Heller is a synapse who can connect impulses and ideas about your business and yourself into possibility. To connect with Stacy, go to StacyConnects.com. Stacy Connects, it's her superpower. Be sure to support the sponsors of your favorite shows on Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to Don't Ask Me to Talk. I am Stacy Heller. I am joined today by Jen O'Ryan. During the break, we were talking about the idea for the rain barrels and Elmo and a tie-in with Oscar the Grouch. Would he donate a trash can? Um, Eric suggested the Lorax. Jen suggested the tree people from The Hobbit. Um, so we're on to something, folks. It is not a fantasy. It is a reality. So um, Jen O'Ryan, so you talk about um you've written a book i believe you talk on podcasts and events and you consult and you talk about designing change that is about inclusive leadership and then i love on your website you have and humaning so tell me about tell me more about that I I am a big fan of humaning, and I think that's really where organizations kind of get stuck a little bit, Um, and and really organizations of all sizes, right? We could be talking about a three-person volunteer team, but I think the human element is lost. I think we have all these aspirational goals and things we want to do, and when we get down to the lived experience of the employees or the, the customers, that's that's where it really happens. That's that's where inclusion really lives. And so I like to think about it as like, we're humans, we're tragically flawed, we're messy, we're difficult to measure, um, we're very squishy. And so you just have to take that into consideration when you're when you're designing 
your your culture. It's so true. And that's something that if all of us erred on the side of this person is human and therefore, you know, if you're the employee, you want to do a good job. You want to make a living. You want to, you know, inherently built in us is this, you know, we're going to do something like there are times when I'm in and these are random Stacy thoughts, but I'll think, you know, I'll go into an ice cream store and there's a bunch of kids running an ice cream store and I'll think, what is it that prevents them from just getting up and walking out? Right. There's this inherent um, thing that's in us to do well, to do right by people, our jobs, our things. And that's the, the human side that you're talking about. And so regardless of whether we're male or we're female or whatever race, race, religion, sexuality we are, um, it's something that we all have. Yeah, I mean, as soon as we are, we are hardwired to uh, to form attachments in groups and to go along with the with the expected behaviors, even if it's it's unwritten. Like that's how we that's how we figure out how to behave. Is we we look to see what others are doing, how that's being responded to with the group, and then we go from there. It's the whole keeping up with the Joneses. It is. And it's keeping us safe because if we aren't part of the group, then we're on our own. And that's a very dangerous and scary place to be. And so that's why that's why we see people who are underrepresented in in different communities or different industries um, having to shift, having to shift uh, the way they behave, the way they interact with each other and other people because they need to be perceived a certain way. And that's what I'm trying to break down in, in a lot of the work that I do is because so much creativity and energy is lost in that shifting. And really, we're just not able to be ourselves. And that's going to compromise uh, the outcomes for the, for the organization. Right. Because society has dictated what the Joneses look and act like and this sort of random yardstick by which you measure success. And exactly. it seems like, you know, in doing that, it seems like it's, you know, a a white family living in the suburbs and, you know, dad is off doing whatever and mom maybe works part time and there's 2.4 kids and a dog and, you know, they own their own home and all these kinds of things. And yet that doesn't necessarily mean it's a prescription for happiness. Exactly. And then how many people are out there are trying to fit themselves into that ideal that doesn't even exist for them? Right. Like it, it never really existed except for a very small percentage of the population. But it's like I spent the first 20 years of my career in tech, which is extremely male dominated, especially at that time. And having to adapt to that that type of behavior, because that's what was seen as good and positive and successful mm-hmm. was all these very masculine traits. And, and just it, it's just interesting how we fit ourselves into all these different molds that really don't apply. Yeah, it is interesting. And it's so funny because like the Joneses, um, you know, they're like getting divorced and, you know, he's miserable and she's miserable and the kids are you know, like, it right. just doesn't work that way. And then you look at other people that are really trying to be authentic to who they are, whether culturally, um, you know, they still have really strong connections to whether they're first gen or, you know, next gen, but they still have ties to their culture and community or um, it's sexuality. And you, you know, you finally feel comfortable, um, you know, living out loud how you identify or, you know, any of these things. And 
when you feel that you can be seen and heard being yourself and having value, I mean, that seems like it's the definition of happiness. Exactly. And that's, that's actually how we have to have a lot of unlearning because it's that being seen and heard. Like I can be in a meeting and be seen and heard, but I'm being seen and heard through the filter of what narrative they have created for me based on how I look at that very moment. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Well, if, if it's coming from me, it might be devalued because it's not coming from my male colleague. And if it's coming from me, it might be perceived differently because I decided not to cover up my tattoos that day. Or do you know what I mean? Like we yeah. see somebody and we make up this entire backstory. We're incredibly imaginative, uh, but, but very also very dramatically wrong. And we create narratives about people that we see in shopping centers and they're in the bank or at work. And we have no idea. And the other side of that is that we're missing out on these very cool, robust stories of who these people actually are. And, and we're not able to know that because we're just putting them into a category. Right. We're just making we're making assumptions instead of asking questions. It reminds me of an article I read recently where there was a gal, I think she was on the East Coast. Um, She's black and she was trying to get, um, I think she was having somebody come in to appraise her house. She was going to put it up for sale. And she had a couple of appraisers come in and it seemed low for what the market was doing in the neighborhood and whatever. So then she sort of did an experiment, a social experiment, and she took down pictures of herself and her family, and she had a a white friend come in and meet the appraiser, and suddenly the value of the home went up. Mm. And, Mm. you know, I would like to say that I was shocked by that story. Sadly, I am not. And it shows just how persuasive uh, this whole idea is into or pervasive, not persuasive um, in in everything. You know, as you said, the narrative that people have about um, I love what you're talking about that, you know, if you have a tattoo, um, our daughter Annie has several tattoos. It's not something that, you know, when I grew up, there was certain people that got tattoos. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now my daughter is that certain person. And it turns out that certain person is a special ed teacher who has a love of cooking and a cat and is lovely and dynamic and kind and a taxpaying citizen. <laughs> yeah. And I love that, that idea that with the phrasing that you used for it is, is that kind of person, because that kind of person gets implanted on us very, very early in life mm-hmm. by, by our immediate group. And we cling to that as, as normal. Like we're the baseline for our own normal. And so, yeah, that kind of person really projects out into the world as we go through just to find out that, no, that's, not that kind of person. <laughs> like, right. Right. Yes. And, you know, and, and, and finding out more and asking those questions and finding out, um, you know, what things really ring true. And, you know, it's the whole, it's stereotypes and it's, you know, on the one hand, people argue, well, there's a reason why they're stereotypes. Well, I mean, I don't know. Um, it's it's just an interesting thing, and it is exciting to see that things are shifting um, and that there is space and, and, I don't know, a platform for people to talk about inclusivity mm-hmm. and humaning as you talk about it. Um, and simultaneously, it's a bummer that it's 2021 and we're still having to talk about this. We're still having to talk about this. Yeah. And I think that's one of the difficulties is that oftentimes the people who are influencing the policy and making those decisions um, 
don't have to think about inclusiveness because they've never experienced not being included. Even if it were, even if they had an experience in summer camp in the eighth grade where they weren't in with the cool kids, nobody talked to them, right. they still, the balance of their life has been in, included and, and in invited to the table. And so they really genuinely oftentimes don't understand what that feels like to have to shift and conform and try and, you know, work twice as hard to overcome somebody else's bias and, and, and interpretation of who you are. And so that's really the, and there's a term, and I know I'm going to mispronounce it. There's a term, um, I believe it's pronounced Sonder. Okay. And it's the realization that everybody you ever meet and don't meet has a, a story in a life that is just as robust and complicated as your own. And honestly, that is sort of the base for what my show is meant to be about, this whole idea of conversation through connection that, you know, I was chatting with a woman the other night. Um, she owns SIP. Uh, her name is Helen. It's the the local restaurant that my husband and I go every Tuesday for date night. And, you know, I was saying you should come on my show. And she was like, well, I don't have anything to talk about. I don't, you know, there's nothing interesting about me. And I was like, you own a restaurant and (laughs) like, and you've lived, you know, I'm not like everybody has an interesting story. And it's so fascinating that we, we have just gone through our life and you talked about, you know, how we start with our own views on things and, and this idea that we're perceiving others based on what our sort of default setting is for normal or right or whatever. And so it's so interesting that there's an assumption. I'm like, oh, I can get you to talk about a story like you have stories mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you have experiences that I will never have and vice versa. And you know, that's what makes you so unique and exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And because there are stories, we think they're just boring pedestrians. Like, oh, everybody has seen this and it just, no, 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 no. It's yeah. And that's one of the things I do miss about the before times where, you know, I would find myself sitting in a coffee shop next to somebody and I'm a textbook introvert, but you you get me talking and that's the end of it. I want to know the good stuff and everything about your life (laughs) that you're comfortable sharing. Cause I just, I I love humans and, you know, being able to sit down with somebody that there's no precept, right. Mm -hmm. We're just sitting in an airport. We could have come from anywhere and you immediately start with common ground. Like, I really like this coffee. I really hate this airport. TSA is really annoying or (laughs) I hope TSA is not listening, but you know, right. Right. Um, and you start those conversations on common ground. You don't start with talking about your uh, potentially most polarizing belief systems. And so I think that's why it's that one conversation at a time in a personal dynamics that starts to change our perception of who, you know, that type of person is and what that type of person really means. hundred percent. I so believe in that. And it's funny. I know that. Um, so my mom is in Minnesota right now. She's staying with. Jay and Mary. And um, I remember being in Minnesota for my niece's, I think it was her high school graduation. And Mary and her sister, Sarah, were teasing me about the fact that I talk with everybody, anybody. And, you know, they they bet me that I couldn't get three Minnesotans to talk um, (laughs) when I was going into the 7-Eleven to get my daily Diet Coke. And I was like, oh, please. And sure enough, I engaged each person in a conversation because, as you say, I started from common ground. Gentlemen held the door for me. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much. Chivalry's not dead. You know, and talking about that. And so there was commonality. Then talking about, you know, I'm pressing the button and getting tons and tons of ice. And he's like, 
I like ice too. You know, somebody else said, <laughs> I like ice too. And I was like, oh my gosh, right? And, you know, talking about that. And then talking to the person that was checking me out, um, you know, bringing up my soda and and having a conversation with them and just finding those things. And so many of us stay inside our bubble and we don't want to talk to people that are maybe providing services for us or they we somehow think that they're beneath us. However, thank God for all of those people because it takes a lot of people to make the world go round and mm-hmm. get to know them. I got to know a gentleman at my local 76 gas station and his name is Peter. He's from India. I loved a bracelet that he had. It was brass and it looked like a serpent. And I would go in for like, I don't know, six, eight months every day to get my soda. And he gave me his bracelet. He asked his wife permission and she said yes. And I still have a bracelet from Peter. And, you know, he's a guy that I was buying a soda from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So with what you do, um, obviously it's crucial that businesses and corporations, however big and small, understand this concept. Why do you think it's become so of the moment and, you know, and and that companies are finally getting it? I think I, I think a lot of it has to do with with all of the culmination of the events over the last 18 months, mm-hmm. um, because it's simply gotten to a place where the disparities in in economic opportunities and health care opportunities and, you know, just all the different disparities um, came into shocking view to people who are at that level of making um, policy decisions and corporate decisions. And I think they've finally gotten to a place where the executives have finally gotten to a place where they just don't know what okay. to do. And they're ready to say, I don't know what to do. I need to bring in some experts, a lot of experts, and and really get this genuinely fixed. Uh, because again, it's it's. I think there's a lot. I think there's been a lot of ambivalence and not really, not really diving in to do the work. Because mm-hmm. uh, it's a lot of work and it's 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 sustained effort and it's not. You can't just have a six week course and then all, it's just going to fix itself, right? Right. <laughs> you, right. You take your leadership team on a three day retreat and then you roll out this new whatever plan it is, and then that will just replicate itself throughout the, the, the teams. And it, it, we just don't, we just don't interact with change like that. Human beings don't, especially related to inclusion and equity and diversity, because it can be so emotionally charged and it taps into those very early messages that we were talking about. Oh, I mean, so much so. I, you know, first, I think it's a shift from placating people to really practicing it. And I think more and more, um, they're, you know, in this cancel culture that we have where, you know, this person's canceled and that person's canceled. There is, you know, the good thing, I guess, about that is that there is an accountability that consumers are reacting when companies go astray. Uh, employees, you know, people are really voicing their mistrust, their dissatisfaction. And I think that's a good thing. And as far as the emotionally charged, you know, I think about um, my sons who are, you know, white males that are upper middle class and trying to find internships or get into college or whatever it is. Um, you know, they're like, it's really hard being a white guy these days. And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, did you just say that out loud? Um, and, you know, so it's it's such an interesting thing because 
they're finding that, you know, in an effort to be inclusive, there's the argument that, well, that's to the exclusion of me. And I'm like, okay. So do you hear that conversation or that argument that is made? I do. I do. And it usually comes up a couple of different ways. So it can come up in a very uh, meaningful way uh, when I'm talking to allies because they feel like, uh, especially older male allies, again, generalization, but allies that tend to be uh, older and, and male, is that they they don't know what to do and they're afraid of offending somebody. So they just don't do anything mm-hmm. and they don't necessarily feel like they're being erased but they're just like, this is, I have no frame of reference for this. I have no idea where to even start. And I'm afraid because I don't want to, I don't want to damage somebody. I don't want to hurt them. Right. I don't want to make a misstep. Exactly. Exactly. And we see that a lot with the Me Too movement. I'm like, well, that's, we can have, we can have a talk around that and we can, you know, there are parameters you can do without being threatening and, you know, things like that. Um, but I also see it a lot as people who kind of throw up their hands and say, I can't deal with another change their air quotes around that change. Mm -hmm. Like this isn't a new thing, but it's something that they have to learn about like gender. And they just don't want to, they don't want to think about it because we've got this, we've got this whole culture of busy, right? And that busy really interrupts and prevents any of the good work getting done because you can't be busy and mindful at the same time. You can't have an inclusive company and say, oh yeah, we were going to hire somebody, but we're going to wait until next quarter when it slows down. It's like, no, (laughs) no. You have to do the work. You have to commit. Um, and so there's a lot of, there's also a lot of misconception that, oh, there are humans who are non-binary, gender fluid, agender, genderless, all these different ways of being. Mm-hmm. And that's not an erasure. Like we're building a bigger stage for humans to be able to um, be in the world. And so it's, we're not saying that there aren't men and women. There are men and women. We're just saying there aren't only men and women. Right. And that kind of ties back to, you know, your son's experience is like, yeah, we're building a bigger, bigger stage. It's not a zero sum equation, but there's been a lot of people holding power that didn't have to listen to a lot of different voices that are coming up to the forefront now. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and that is where I sit down and I say, you need to do the work. You need to do the internal work to get through that. Right. And it's it's so interesting because, you know, the boys don't begrudge it like they 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 get it i mean they're like hello um you know thanks to all of our forefathers that didn't do the work so that you know (laughs) (laughs) so now we're stuck um and they're very much like you know i totally get it and you know i'm i'm gonna need to show up and and be aware of that and work that much harder and you know and be an ally and make sure that I surround myself and I make the change so that someday, you know, this doesn't continue and continue. Um, Let's take a really quick break. And when we come back, I want to talk about the language of um, inclusion and diversity. I think people need help with the language. So you're listening to Don't Ask Me to Talk. I'm Stacey Heller. We'll be right back with Jen Ryan. Are you stuck in a creative straitjacket, going crazy, trying to find a different way out, exhausted from trying to make old ideas feel fresh? 
and relevant, Popcorn and Noodle is a boutique agency that specializes in popcorning new ideas and noodling on existing ones for entrepreneurs and small businesses. Whether it's ideas about what to name a new venture, how to promote your services, or which direction to consider next, Popcorn and Noodle serves ideas that pop and stick. Don't go crazy. Go to popcornandnoodleideas.com. Creative solutions serve daily. Stacy Heller is many things. Entertaining, yet enlightening. She's a talk show host channeling her inner Fallon. Like Winston Wolf, she's a fixer who gets things done with style. Practical, like Dr. Ruth. Stacy isn't afraid of the uncomfortable when searching for answers. She's your biggest fan and sees your potential before you do. Most of all, Stacy Heller is a synapse who can connect impulses and ideas about your business and yourself into possibility. To connect with Stacy, go to stacyconnects.com. Stacy Connects, it's her superpower. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash 1150KKNW. Don't ask me to talk. Welcome back to Don't Ask Me to Talk. So I am chatting with Jen O'Ryan. She is a strategist that focuses on inclusion and diversity and making sure that um, that really all of us are authentically inclusive and welcoming to all different humans. So one thing that I know that people struggle with, myself included, frankly, is the right vernacular when talking about different groups of people. And when we talk about inclusion and diversity, you know, it's it is all of it. Um, It's not just about LGBTQ and um, BIPOC. It's all of it. And it's so interesting because people, as you say, are so um, they want to be so careful about what they say and they don't want to step on toes. And so what you're supposed to call people humans um, so that you can respectfully refer to them. Like my daughter and I talk about this, um, her special education kids and what to calling, what to call them. And, you know, she said you can call them differently abled or you can call them special ed kids. You know, it's like, this is, this is who they are. Um, obviously no longer is it acceptable to call them the R word, um, Mm -hmm. you know, and things like that. So talk to me about some of the language of inclusion and diversity. What should people know? What are the basics? So the, the basics are, well, I mean, fundamentally we have a tendency to develop our vocabulary and then just keep using the same words over and over and over without ever examining or questioning it. Mm-hmm. And so what I would say is just start with the, the basics of the language that you use in general. So why one of my big pet peeves is, is saying, hey, guys, when you actually mean colleagues or attendees or people that aren't just men um, and, and using andronormative language. So you've got, you know, firemen, policemen, things like that, making sure that you're using something that is not specific to a gender. Now, question about that. Yes. So growing up and in school. It seemed like when you wrote a paper or you, you know, you would write something, what we were taught was that you, if you were talking about like men and women together, 
you naturally or you were supposed to default to like men like that was the you know men everywhere um you know or i'm just trying to think of like an example of that but i remember english teachers history teachers i remember being told that instead of having to say over and over again men and women or whatever it was it was like just say you know either people or you know men or mm-hmm. use the pronoun he his mm-hmm. so was that an arbitrary rule <laughs> i think that was written by men to make it easier for them to not have to think about other people <laughs> okay no that's <laughs> okay, okay, i mean but, that's but no honestly i mean that's 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 kind of where it comes from right it's like the default it's a default setting for human like yeah. we're talking about our our experience in childhood is our base for normal like we're normal everybody else is somewhere related to that right and, and I think that was kind of the default setting was men for a really long time. And it is, it's such exclusionary language that one of the things I actually get a lot of requests for now is to review uh, training content and development content because there's still so much language that uses he as a default pronoun and it's just so off-putting. Um, and so, yeah, really it should be taking a step back and saying, what are we being more precise with our language? Um, because we have a huge capacity for vocabulary and just saying, what is it I'm actually trying to convey? Um, so one of my other big pet peeves is airlines will always say, ladies and gentlemen, before every single announcement, mm-hmm. which is just exclusionary and it has social connotations that we could you know, spend another entire hour talking about. Right. When Really what they mean is like passengers, esteemed right. passengers, welcomed guests, attendees, colleagues, peeps, peeps. <laughs> one of my favorites. I was going to say, Everybody hey, people. Yeah, yeah. Hey, everyone. <laughs> Um, you know, there's so many other different ways to describe that rather than just saying he, him. As right. You could say, hey, flight 32. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, where, like, you're definitely on hard people at. Right. Yes. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. That makes um, sense. Okay. Yeah. Just like delivery driver. Like there's so many different ways to, to say that. And then even, you know, a step further, if you, if the, if the gender of the human is unknown or immaterial, then just use they Mm -hmm. and getting into the practice of using they, it just becomes actually so much easier. Right. It's interesting. I worked at an event um, when I was working um, with uh, my former boss for a style event and the folks that were running the photo booth, um, one definitely identified as male, the other, I wasn't sure and I didn't catch their name. And so I said to their coworker, so how, what is their name and how do they identify? And he said, I, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> and their name, it was kind of like the SNL skit, skit where it was like Pat. I mean, like literally the name could have gone in any direction, which is why I had the follow-up conversation about how they identify and he said, I don't know, I've never asked. And I thought, how do you work with somebody and not ask that question? So, yeah, or, or just, I mean, and also, yeah, and, and in that case, you're using your usage of the word they opens the door to say, oh, that's Robin. Robin uses she, her pronouns. Right. And I just, you know, yes. I just was, and so I finally went up and, and said, hey, um, I didn't catch your name and, you know, I keep trying to refer to you and what is your preferred pronoun? Because I just, I, I don't know. And, and I'm directing people and I'm having to reference you and, you know, 
they appreciated it very much and identified as they. <laughs> yep. And that's, that's, it, it can be, depending on the situation, it can be a little tricky because if somebody feels like if they're uh, unsafe in an environment, uh, a question like that could be construed as like, oh, why are you targeting me or picking on me? Mm-hmm. But it's in this case, you're trying to figure out how do I refer to you? Right. Out of respect, because instead of saying, you know, yo, <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know, Listen. like that person over there is going to hand you the photo when, you know, you're done. And, you know, so anyway, OK, so when in doubt, uh, use they or there. Yes. OK, so so far it's about being precise and it is when in doubt, use they or there. And OK, more. No, no, I was going to say, and here's the, here's, the, here's the tricky thing, because our brains are always, they're optimized to be energy efficient, which means that our brains are actually very lazy. Um, so here's the, here's the hack, though. If you get into the habit of using they, them pronouns, that gives your brain less material to build a narrative around this other person. Mm, that's true. So it starts, it starts preventing the creation of all these elaborate filters through which you will experience this human going forward. And so if you say they, it's got... It, it's got nothing nothing to work with. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. Uh, what other language around inclusion and diversity should we be aware of or look for or be using? Um, for instance, um, when referring to people who are bra- black or brown, it's, mm-hmm. you know, is it black? Is it brown? Is it people of color? Is it um, African-American? Is it, you know... There's lots of questions about that. The one thing I think that is universally accepted is that the N-word is not acceptable. No, and and yeah, and people of color tends to be the next universal. Um, it is it is so inherently personal though, because I, I was talking to a colleague of mine who was from Jamaica, and he's like, I'm not African American, I'm black. Right. And so it's like, well, I don't I don't want to put a label on you that isn't you. Um, and so it, it can be really tricky. And it, so much of it depends on the situation, how well you know the person. Is it even important to introduce that aspect of them to the conversation? Do you know right. what I mean? Like, oh, hey, um, this is, you know, Jen Orion. She's my white friend. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes, exactly. And so that's why it's, it's stripping down to what are, you, what are you trying to convey and what information do you need to convey that effectively? And so... Um, because like the LGBTQ population is such a good example, because when we look at research that focuses on LGBTQ plus individuals, mm-hmm. it's it's captured under that monolithic title or monolithic acronym. Um, but when you drill down into it, you see very, very different outcomes based on are they a white gay man in an affluent neighborhood or are they a person of color who is uh, non-binary? Right. And so, so it's filtering. And so it kind of it kind of dilutes the impact of some research when it's done under this large umbrella. Um, so, yeah, I, I, my other point would be, oh, if you if when in doubt, um, do the homework, look it up and find credible sources and and ask what what the right one is, because, um, yeah, it can be it can be very nuanced and situational. It's, it's going to be opening like I, I've said stupid things. I've misstepped. I, you know, every, we all do. Again, messy, squishy, hard to measure. But it's it's taking a step back when you're called out and just saying, OK, apologize, unqualified, and then do the work of, of finding out and really try to look at it through the lens of that person's lived experience. Right. And don't think that they're being um, 
difficult because they want it um, because they want to be seen and heard a certain way and they identify a certain way and being respectful of that. And, you know, it's so important. And chances are, and I'm painting with a wide brush here, but chances are it took a lot for them to reach a place and being comfortable literally in their own skin or their own identity. And so therefore that respect um, feels so hard won because it was hard enough to respect themselves most likely um, with the measurement of society. Right. But then um, standing up for yourself and saying like, this is who I am, by the way, unapologetically. Mm -hmm. So I think that, you know, that's a huge thing. I know um, there's, we have a good family friend. He's, He's like a son to me and he is black and he is actually from Africa. And it's so fascinating because being an African male, he is so proud of where he came from and the fact that, you know, his father was a tribal leader and, you know, this whole experience that he had. And then he came over as a 12, 13 year old boy to the United States and then suddenly had the mantle thrown on him of being an African-American male. And, you know, talk about a switcheroo. Holy cow. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's really difficult. So, you know, I go back to my my Elmo. It's asking questions is a good way to find things out. And, you know, remember, it's better to ask questions than make assumptions. Yeah, yeah. And having that intellectual curiosity. And and also, because the first thing that's going to happen if you find out that you, you know, you're wrong is that, or you cause defense, however, unintentionally is that your your ego is going to kick in and try to protect itself. And that's, that's done with, oh, that's not what I meant. What I meant was this. Uh, and I we see that I see that a lot in organizations, too, where they're like, we want you to show up as your authentic self. And then when somebody stands up and says, I would like to be seen as my authentic self. It's like, well, are you sure you aren't overreacting to what the person said in the meeting or right. are you sure you're not being too sensitive? And and it's that kind of disconnect that is really, really difficult. It is very difficult. Okay. So we only have a couple minutes here. So um, Jen, share what you do and how you do it and your company and how people can connect with you if they are looking for some guidance. Yeah. Uh, fantastic. Yeah. So uh, I started my company, Double Tall Consulting, about five years ago because I saw, <clears throat> excuse me, again, 20 years in, in change management, rolling out new experiences in the tech industry. I, I saw that there was a huge disconnect between these aspirational goals and good ideas and what people really wanted to do with their business or their organization. And then actually defining that into something that could be implemented. And, and really understanding, okay, how do you how do you measure and, and research your organization, what's going on? How do you measure the impact of what you're gonna do? How do you actually write it out and then implement and then measure mm-hmm. in a way that is very conscientious and deliberate and, and also aware of unintended consequences? Yep, love it. And, and, and yeah, and so I just have very real conversations. I mean, for a long time in uh, 2018, it, it seems to go in cycles. So in 2018, I was doing a lot of, uh, executive coaching and HR coaching around talking about gender okay. in the workplace. And so what does it mean when people use they, them pronouns? What does it mean? I have an employee who's non-binary. What does that mean? They have a driver's license that 
doesn't have an F or an M. It has an X. What do I do with that? Right. And, and just having very real conversations about this is what it means. This is what it doesn't. This is how you change your systems. And let's go do great things. That's awesome. Um, if they want to get in touch with you, how oh, can yeah. they do that? Uh, so I am, I'm actually getting hit up a lot on LinkedIn. So LinkedIn on Jenna Ryan. Okay. And my webpage, my company webpage is doubletallllc.com, which I know is an unfortunate number of L's, but there Thanks. was another double tall. Now there's only one. Uh, so double tall LLC. And, awesome. And that's where you can find me. There's details on services, my background, who I am. Always happy to connect and, and chat with people. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jen. I so appreciate this conversation. I love being challenged to think about these things. Um, so thank you to Jen O'Ryan. Thank you, Eric. Next week, I'm joined by Tawny Sanabria. And have a great week. And go ask questions, folks. Thanks for listening to Don't Ask Me to Talk.